Amen. So for a long time now, I've been a huge fan of a, I guess you call him a leadership guru, uh, named Simon Sinek. And anybody else familiar with Simon Sinek? Anybody? Okay, there's a few hands in the room. Can anyone tell me the TED Talk he did and the book he wrote that propelled him into the spotlight? Start with why is correct. Start with why is the principle that Simon Sinek gave, which really seems pretty simple and straightforward, but so many people don't do this. The principle is that as an organization, which is the, where he was coming from, although the principle applies to individuals and to our lives as well, um, before you answer the question of what we do, before you get to how we're going to do it, you have to start with why. You have to understand the reason behind it, the primary motivation and the drive that will move everything else forward. For Trilogy, our why is to help people become part of God's family through a, a life-changing, constantly growing relationship with Jesus so that we can see the, the families of the 380 corridor and beyond restored from brokenness and living the abundant life that Christ has called us to live. That's why we do what we do. We want to see lives transformed. Bottom line, that's why we do what we do. There's a ton of different ways to go about that. There's different programs. There's methodologies. There's, there's things that you can plan for in the future. But if you haven't identified the why, then you're just firing arrows randomly and hoping you hit something. You have to know the why. That's why when we began this series last week on the pause, resting, Sabbath, all I talked about is why. That's all we talked about. We didn't deal with what or how at all. And let me tell you, after service last week, at my neighborhood group this week, in some emails I received this week, I had a ton of people asking me, well, what does that look like? How do I do this well? What am I supposed to do? And I wanna put your mind at ease this morning, we're going to get there today. Um, we're still going to hit some background because there's more to learn about what the Bible has to say about Sabbath. Uh, and how it applies to us now in today's age. But I'm also going to talk about some very practical ways to make rest and biblical healthy rhythms become reality in your life. A regular rhythmic, and you guys remember me pounding on the, the pulpit last week, or music stand, uh, uh, this, this rhythm that God established uh, that regular rhythmic time of rest is right there in the opening story in Scripture. Before humans turned away from God, uh, before God established his partnership with the nation of Israel, a pattern of resting was established by God, which immediately causes us to ask some questions. So what does keeping the Sabbath mean for God's people today? We understand what it looked like for the Jews. Is it the same for us today? Is it different for us today? If it is, then why? Are Christians supposed to observe the Sabbath? And if so, how? There's a lot of questions about the Sabbath. We look at the Ten Commandments, you know, and most of those are pretty straightforward, right? Don't murder. Got it. Don't lie. Got that. Check. I mean, most of these are pretty straightforward. Sabbath, though, causes a lot of questions. We, we, we struggle with this, and, we, and, and I, if you just Google it, you'll find a huge amount of information about the Sabbath and whether or not, and there's a lot of disagreement out there. So this is kind of a controversial thing in the church today with regard to what Sabbath should look like uh, in our lives today. And so before we answer that question, 
I want to take another quick look at the idea of Sabbath rest in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And there are two main Hebrew words used for rest in the Bible. The first is Shabbat, which gets translated into the English word Sabbath. Okay, Shabbat is where we get the word Sabbath. And the word for rest here simply means to stop working. That's what Sabbath means. Shabbat means to stop working. Think of an hourly job where you clock out at the end of a shift. The work is done. There's no more until you clock back in Shabbat. The other main Hebrew word for rest used in the Hebrew scriptures is nuach. And this means to dwell or to settle or to abide. And this is not the same as clocking out from your hourly job. Uh, this type of rest, nuach rest, is like, it's like sitting in front of a fireplace with a loved one. It's like unpacking your suitcase to stay at grandma's house for the holidays. It's, it's essentially about being restfully present. I'm here and I'm going to stay a while. And there's a sense of relationship that goes along with this word. And so God sets up both Shabbat and Nuach right around the same time in the beginning. In the Bible's account of creation, uh, God works for six days creating the world and rests on the seventh day. After six days of bringing order to chaos, now it is time to Shabbat from this work. And only a few verses later, we read that God creates humans, and then he immediately rests them or settles them, Nuach, uh, with himself in the Garden of Eden. So there's these two principles of rest that are working hand in hand together in creation. It's like the ideas of Shabbat and Nuach are meant to work together. And God leads by example as he rests from work, Shabbat, and then dwells together, Nuach, with his people. And this is the intention of the first original Sabbath. It was so God and his people could rest in their relationship. So get that. The purpose of Sabbath was so that God and his people could rest in their relationship. And it's an incredible picture that leaves us wanting more. You know, I, we want to be with God. We want to know God more. Can you imagine like Adam and Eve did? hanging out with God? I mean, God would come and walk in the garden with them. What is that? I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around what that is like. I mean, will that kind of Sabbath rest that Adam and Eve experienced ever be restored? Will we ever have that kind of intimacy and closeness with God again? Let's jump ahead and find out. In the New Testament now, we see the clearest picture of God's presence on earth and dwelling with his people. The clearest picture we have of that throughout all created history is in the person of Jesus. The gospel tells us that Jesus had a lot to say about the Sabbath and the true rest that God intends for his people. So let's take a look at an example from the gospel of Matthew. Matthew sets up for all of his readers a series of connected stories. He builds on them where Jesus is confronted by Israel's religious leaders and teachers, and in one particular instance, on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees object to Jesus' friends picking some, some uh, corn as they're walking through a field, and then they object to Jesus healing a man's shriveled hand. And so, if they are, these Pharisees are the religious authorities of the day, and they're telling Jesus, you are breaking Sabbath law, you are breaking Shabbat. Was Jesus ignoring the command to keep the Sabbath? 
was Jesus violating God's law. And so Jesus responds with an, the obvious answer here is no. Okay, he's Jesus. He's perfect. He did not break any of God's laws. But Jesus responds with an argument that redefines the Sabbath. Get that. Redefines the Sabbath for us claims his role as the promised Messiah and points to his own divinity. And we find this in Matthew 12, verses 3 through 8. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here, referring to himself, who is even greater than the temple. Imagine that rolled some eyes. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Now this was... This was crazy talk for the Pharisees to hear. This, they wanted to pick up stones right then and just stone the guy because this was, in their minds, pure blasphemy. Blasphemy of the purest. Now, we read it and we're like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's Jesus. Of course, he could say whatever he wants to say. But the Pharisees are incredibly upset by this, and you, you can imagine why they would. It upsets their entire worldview. It undermines their authority and their power base. But here's the thing. To Jesus... Observing the Sabbath wasn't about following a list of guidelines. To Jesus, it was meant to point to something greater. It was meant to point to something else. So let's get some context. Matthew tells these stories about Sabbath controversy immediately on the heels of quoting Jesus' words about rest that we talked about last week in Matthew 11, right before this, 28 and 29. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So all this talk from Jesus about rest, right before a passage now that deals with the Sabbath. This is no mistake. So what is Matthew trying to communicate here? God's people had become tired from the heavy weight of observing Sabbath. And let me tell you, that has not gone away for observant Jews in Israel today. When I went to Israel, I was blown away at the lengths they went to to keep the Sabbath law. It, so much so that on Sabbath, on Shabbat, the elevators, they would have a Shabbat elevator in addition to all the other elevators in a hotel. Now, somebody like me, I could walk up and press the button on the regular elevators, the elevator would come down, then it would take me to you know, my eighth floor, whatever I was on, right? That's normal. The Shabbat elevator would have the buttons disabled and it would stop at every floor. And it would just keep going in that rotation at every floor. And you would just wait for the Shabbat elevator if you were an observant Jew, wait for it, then you could get in, then wait for it to get to your floor as it stopped at every one. Why? Because when you press that button, it's causing an electrical impulse, it's causing a spark inside there, and they consider that spark creation doing work. And so they would not press the button that would call the elevator. 
or tell it which floor to get off on. That's just one example of what it looks like uh, and why you can imagine that type of uh, consistent, like having to think through every decision that you make was a burden to the Jews. And Jesus intended to redefine the meaning of Sabbath for the nation of Israel and for his followers. The people were in need of rest, both in ceasing from hard work, which is Shabbat, and being present together with God, which is Nuach. Jesus ushered in the promise and the reality of both of these. And so Jesus reminded the people of God's original intent for Sabbath, unity with God, unity with God's creation, and unity with one another. That was the original intent of God's Sabbath. And it was first found in Eden on page one of your Bible. That's what, well, maybe two or three. But that's where we see uh, the original intent of Sabbath. Relationship, intimacy, closeness. It was supposed to point to him, to Jesus, the one promised through all of Israel's prophets, the one who would permanently restore the rhythm of creation that was broken by sin. And so when followers of Jesus observe the Sabbath, we get to live as if this restoration of this rhythm of creation has already taken place. We take a break from the broken rhythms of hustle and hardship to set aside time to enjoy his presence. When we pause, when we observe the Sabbath well, we become resting places of God's presence. So what does this look like practically? Does it mean attending a weekend church service? Does it mean turning off your work emails for a day? Does it mean going out and serving the homeless? Does it matter what day you observe Sabbath? Your Sabbath could certainly include any or all of these activities. And it could take place on the same day every week. But here's the thing. Jesus emphasizes the purpose of the Sabbath rather than telling us rules for how to observe it. Okay, hear that again. Jesus emphasizes the purpose of the Sabbath rather than telling us rules for how to observe it. And that's an important distinction. As followers of Jesus, we aren't required to follow the specific laws regarding Sabbath given to Israel by God. They were given at a specific time to a specific people for a specific purpose. But the wisdom of those laws endures. And the principle of the pause is essential. And get this, it is not a commandment that we are bound to, it is a promise we're invited to. We need to, we need to wrap our minds around that framework for this. Sabbath is not a commandment we are bound to as far as all the things surrounding it, it's a promise we're invited to. This is, this is the get to from last week, not the have to. We get to Sabbath. Not we have to Sabbath. The promise is in the future. It's what eternity... Now, now I, I don't want you to hear that and say, Pastor Jeff just took commandment four out of the list. No. The principle of Sabbath remains, and we need to honor that, and we need to live in that. It is all of the, the subsequent uh, stuff that was added on to that that we don't have to live according to. Does that make sense? I don't want you to hear, you know, heresy, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. No. Um, the promise of this is in the future. Sabbath is what eternity will be. We even have a phrase about this, right? When someone dies, they've gone to their eternal rest. 
we don't really say that anymore, but you know, you've heard it. Uh, eternity will be resting forever in the presence of God. No more work, no more hardship, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more negative anything. Just eternal rest in God's presence. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity. We have to Shabbat in order to Nuach. We have to stop working and truly rest in God's presence. We have to disconnect from what's going on around us so that we can purely connect vertically. When we discipline ourselves to regularly pause intentionally, we clear room for God to take up residence in our individual lives. We've got to clear the stage in our lives. We've got to get rid of all that stuff so we can truly experience intimacy and communion with God. Even better, we're taking part in this new creation story, setting the stage for God to make his dwelling place, his resting place, right here in our hearts, in this room, in, in our church. Jesus used the phrase where two or three are gathered, okay? That concept is nuach, gathered, dwelling, settled in to experience relationship. And Jesus said he is there with us. So let's spend a few minutes talking about time, and more importantly, how do we honor and experience God as we move through time? We talked about how the Old Testament uses two different words for rest, right? Shabbat and Nuach. The New Testament uses two different words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos refers to chronological time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, you get the idea. It's how time flows. It flows in chronos time. Kairos, on the other hand, is the right or the best time to do something. When Jesus talked about, or, or when the Bible talks about in the fullness of time, that fullness of time is a kairos moment. It was the right moment. It was the perfect moment to see that happen. In John 2, Jesus' mother asked him to intervene at the wedding in Canaan. Cana, and they're attending this wedding, and, and she asked Jesus to solve the problem miraculously, and this is his response in John 2, 4. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. That time is kairos. It's that perfect time, that fullness of time, that right time. He's saying that moment has not arrived for me. So the word uh, here, it's, it's um, chronos, chronos is quantitative, whereas kairos is qualitative. It's what does that time look like for me? And so we're going to see that both of these are involved uh, in the pause and how it should look in each one of our lives. When it comes to the pause that God commands, when it comes to Sabbath, the practice, the practice that the Jews followed in the Old Testament and even today in some cases, the practice no longer applies to us, but the principle itself was founded in creation and it's inescapable for us. And even if we're not bound to the practice like the Jews were, we cannot abandon the principle. And so I want to give you some very practical steps you can take to practice the principle of rest, to honor the Sabbath as God intended of both Sabbat and Nuach. With regard to Kronos time, we have days, weeks, months, quarters, and years. Okay? So where do we get these? Where do we get day from? Where do we get the day from? Earth's rotation, right? Okay? That's where we get the day from. Where do we get the month from? What one time? The moon is correct. Yes, we get uh, the month from the moon and its orbit around the earth. Uh, where do we get the quarter from? 
solstice, the seasons, okay, and how uh, we, we modify through that about every three months throughout the year. And then the year we get, obviously, from the Earth orbiting around the sun. All of these days, months, quarters, and years are founded in creation, those lengths of times. Now, what about the week? Where do we get a week from? The act of creation. God created in six days and rested on the seventh. That's where we get the week from, is from what God did as he created. So all of these time designations came either from creation or the act of creation, the act of creating itself. They're all initiated by God at the beginning. So let's look at how we can pause for each one of these designated periods of time. These are some great and pretty easy to work out in our lives practical steps we can take to deepen our rest and our understanding of the presence of God. So what does time with God look like for you? Is it consistent? Or is it when you have time? Or even worse, when you remember? Uh, I want to give you some ways that you might be able to prioritize and be intentional about resting in God's presence on a regular basis. And what this requires is intentionality on our part. It requires us to step out and say, God, I am going to prioritize this Sabbath in my life on a consistent, regular basis. And these steps that I'm going to give you, these are not scriptural steps. You won't look through the Bible and find, hey, do this. Uh, these are some practical steps that I think are just some good, healthy, biblical rhythms to establish in our lives to honor Sabbath. Uh, and it follows the time designations established at creation. So the first thing we can do is daily... Devote 30 minutes to God. Worship, prayer, time in the word, devote 30 minutes. Now, these times that I'm going to give you are subjective. Some of you may look at that and say, you know what? I really feel like I should double all these times that you're giving. Great. Some of you may say, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm not there yet. So you may say, okay, well, 15 minutes. Here's the thing. If you wait until you're ready to do all these things, you will never do them. Start. Get a healthy rhythm in your life. So daily, devote 30 minutes to God. Worship, prayer, time in the Word, spend time with Him. Weekly, withdraw, get away for an hour, a solid hour with God. This is separate from that 30 minutes a day. Take an hour once a week where you get away and just spend time alone in God's presence and seek Him uh, at a more intimate level. Monthly, make time for three hours with God. And these are stretching moments because it's hard to pull away from everything for three hours, right? I mean, there's always the tyranny of the urgent that is active in our lives. And so when we do this, what we're saying is, God, I'm going to step away from all of the busyness. I'm going to step away from all of the chaos in my life. I'm going to step away from everything that is clamoring for my attention. And for the next three hours of my life, I'm going to focus on nothing but you. And please incorporate time where you just sit and be with God. That you're not, obviously, you're not going to spend three hours talking to God. That's, I, I don't know who can keep that up for three hours. Uh, but, you know, there's time where you allow God to speak to you. There's time where you just enjoy that communion and time in God's presence. So monthly, make time for three hours with God. Quarterly, quit working for one extra day. Take a day off every three months. And maybe you, you, you know, you have personal time, whatever. Take a day and make that God's day with you and take six hours and commit that to God. Some of you are like, I have never spent six hours consecutively with God in my entire life. And you know what? 
I don't think most believers have. Don't sit here and feel guilty right now because I don't think there are very many followers of Jesus who have these kinds of rhythms in their lives. I was, I was talking to Melissa this morning. I said, babe, what do you think is the average amount of time that the, that the average Christian spends with God each day? She said, I don't know, 10 minutes? I think that was extremely generous. I would say if you average it out over a week, I would say the average believer spends about five minutes a day with God. And I think it's important that we look at something like this and say, I'm going to dedicate myself to taking time to Shabbat pull away and Nuak lean into God and develop that relationship even further. And then finally, the last thing is annually allocate a full day with God, 24 hours, go away for a spiritual retreat, just you and Jesus, and really allow God to speak into your life. Now these times, as I said, are subjective. You decide what works for you. This is not prescriptive. This is just a framework. It's a way of splitting it up into daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, and how we can approach this. It's a possibility for you to use as you work on establishing these biblical rhythms in your life. And this is the kairos within the chronos. Your days, weeks, months, quarters, years are just moving forward. They don't stop. What you're saying is, hey, daily, this 30-minute time slot from 7.30 to 8 a.m., that is my kairos. That is what time is perfect for me as the chronos happens to spend time with him. And so uh, it's not going to be the same for everyone. The time for you might not be the right or perfect kairos time for someone else. So decide what that is for you. And then for physical rest, see, that's our spiritual rest. That's our connecting. That's our nuach with God. For physical rest, because Shabbat was also designed to give our bodies and our minds a break, right? I mean, the people who work all the time, they never shut down. They just keep going all the time. And this is where recreation comes in. This is where uh, pulling away comes in. These are super practical, but they're hugely important when it comes to maintaining uh, a Sabbath uh, perspective on our physical and mental states. And before I even share them, I want to confess my own weakness in this area. This is where I am probably weakest when it comes to honoring the fourth commandment. And I'm committing to these in a big way, at least and to the last ones I just shared as well. Obviously, I'm going to commit to those as well. But uh, these are where my weakness is as we move forward. So daily, uh, you should get a good night's rest. Daily, and already some of you are like, yeah, I failed that one. Um, but whatever that means for you, daily get a good night's rest. That is God's mechanism for rejuvenating your body and your mind. Get a good night's rest every night. Weekly, you should take one solid full day off of work to rest. Now, that doesn't mean you can't press elevator buttons. That doesn't mean you can't go do something recreational that may be a little physically intensive. In fact, some of us need more physically intensive in our lives, right? Um, but what this does is it disconnects us from the grind. It disconnects us from our normal daily hustle to separate ourselves and to rejuvenate, to restore. So weekly, take a full day off to rest. Monthly, you should take a weekend to rest. So two days consecutively. However, you can figure that out. I know, we, you know we've got chores, we've got things we've got to do, we've got yard work, we've got all this stuff. But one weekend a month, take two days consecutively and say, I'm not going to do 
stuff that I normally do and I'm going to pull away and I'm going to have some stuff that restores me. Quarterly, get away somewhere. Go somewhere for a weekend. Ideally, two to three days. This is deeper rest, break from responsibilities. Take a weekend, you know, four times a year that you, you do something. And then finally, annually, you should take a vacation for at least a week. Why at least a week? Because it's about the average is four days is how long most people need to stop thinking about work. So that gives you three days of your vacation that you get to enjoy. Okay, like I said, these are super practical, but guys, this is the principle of Sabbath. To restore our bodies and our minds, because our bodies and minds are falling apart. Because we're not honoring the biblical principles. Now you might say this sounds more like a note from my doctor than a spiritual principle to live out, right? Um, but God designed your body. Your body is a machine that God designed, and he designed it to need rest. And these two lists of rhythms will help us to experience life and to experience him as he designed us to. And I will be putting both of these lists up on Trilogy Life on Facebook, uh, so uh, you can get them later if you didn't write them down. If you're not on Facebook and you'd like them, just email me at jeff at trilogy.church and just say, send me the list and I will send them to you personally. Um, but they are a great starting point and model for what this could look like. Please don't hear me say, this is what every person in Trilogy is supposed to do, thus saith the Lord. That is not what this is. These are some practical steps that we can all take. It's a model for us. Um, so think about the rhythms of your life for a minute. Think about your schedule, think about your calendar, think about your patterns and your rhythms. Do you have in your life a rhythm of rest? Rest connecting to God and rest restoring your mind and body. Do you have that in place? And when I ask that question, don't feel guilty and don't think restriction or burden. I want you to think refreshment because this is designed for your good. And the exact application and details are going to be different for each one of us. For some, fishing is like being in the throne room of God, okay? You feel relaxed, you feel connected with God's creation, you feel him. For others, fishing is one of the circles of hell that Dante wrote about. And it's not going to restore you, and if that's you, don't fish for your paws. For everyone, it's going to look different. Do what restores you. Some careers require you to work on Sundays. I get that. Obeying the fourth commandment basically means that you have a consistent rest rhythm for being with God that refreshes your soul, rejuvenates your mind and your body. But there's not a strictness here. We don't rigidly clock in and clock out. It's a rhythm. It's a pattern in our lives. Whatever the details, the point is that you stop, you rest, you worship, and you are refreshed. Jesus wants your soul to be refreshed. And this is something I want so badly to grow in. I think it's something we all could grow in, and I think we all should feel refreshed much more frequently than we do. Remember what Jesus said again in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. To me, this is Jesus giving us what Sabbath should look like for us today.
Jesus says that if we come to him, he will give us rest for our souls. And there's a spiritual aspect to this rest. There's a theological aspect to this rest in Hebrews 4. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. There is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. I want you to understand this. This was written to the church, but it said the rest is not yet here. This passage is future focused. It's what God has promised awaits us in eternity. But it's also more than that because Jesus talks about rest as an actual experience, something we're supposed to experience now. It's a temporary experience we get that one day we're going to know fully when we are with God in heaven. But we get a taste now. Jesus says, rest for your souls now. He says, if you come to him, he will give gift you rest. This is a gift that God gives us. Do you believe Jesus when he says that? Do you believe Jesus really means he can give your soul rest? Obviously. And if so, does your soul feel restful? I'm going to say something here. It's pretty challenging, but it's something I want us to think about. If we have made the decision to follow Jesus, but our souls are never restful, we have to conclude that either Jesus doesn't really mean what he says in Matthew 11, or maybe we're not following him like he's calling us to. We're not living with the pause. Total obedience to Jesus means you will have to rest. You will have to Sabbath. And I want you to hear that as an invitation today. You can trust him enough to stop. God will bless that. You can have a rhythm of rest in your life now. A consistent rhythm for relationship and rest means a refreshed soul. God made the principle of the pause for us. And he intends more good for us in it than we could ever dream. Because here's the thing that's really cool. And this is, this is kind of uh, something that I... I uh, coined about the Sabbath that I think is, is just so relevant for us. Sabbath is the closest taste of eternity we get to experience here in this lifetime. Sabbath is the closest taste of eternity we get to experience here in this lifetime. Because that's really what heaven is. It's Sabbath for eternity. It is rest in God's presence. And so that is its eternal practice. When you implement a rhythm of Sabbath in your life. And I'm committing myself to growing in my rest, to experience God in a deeper way than I ever have before, because I will be living in obedience to the rhythms of rest he wants us to set aside for him. So let's pray, and then we're going to receive communion together. Lord, I thank you for this principle of the pause. I thank you, God, for this command to rest because you knew God that we would fight this. You knew that we would rebel against this. You knew that we would constantly strive and, and hustle and grind and work and, and put forth our effort on a nonstop basis because we just we get so addicted to our work and our production. And Lord, you have said what we are to come away. We are to Shabbat and we are to Nuach. And Lord, I pray that we would rest in you. We would rest our souls, we would rest our bodies, we would rest our minds, and God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us and show us what those, those rhythms should look like in our own lives. And God, as we do this, I pray that you would bring this rested army of disciples together 
And God, we would be more effective at reaching this world than we've ever been because we're serving out a position of strength. We're serving out a position of, of being rejuvenated and restored on a regular, consistent basis. And God, we can change this world for you. God, give us a taste of eternity every time we pull away. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.